surrender this time to you. We surrender our hearts, our minds, our souls, our strength to receive the good news that you have for us, to receive the love that you have. And so God, we pray that you would use this time to grow us, challenge us, help us to see truly who you are, and as a result, to recognize who we are. And the truth of that, Lord, is we are loved. We are loved by you. And pray this in Jesus' holy name. All God's people said, Amen. This band is so amazing. Haran and King David. Ben, thank you, brother. Jason Shore, Josh Minikin, King David here, Haran, we got the whole crew. And uh, the best part about all of them is they're so humble. Um, they, they are the least likely people ever to place themselves at the center of anything. And so when they worship, I love that they place Jesus at the center of worship. And, um, and the best part about worshiping with them is the, to see their stories, because some of them I've known for 11 years. And I've seen them through tough times and good times, and I have just seen them praising God every little step of the way. And to know that, that story of their life and how God has been working in their life just, just adds that meaning to, to know of God's goodness in that way. You know, I, I, I know their story, and I know some of your stories, but I, I don't know if you know your story. If I was to ask you, who are you? What is your story? Uh, what would you say? Or, or who would you trust to write the biography of your life? Do you think they would get a really good picture? Like they would give a perfect snapshot of exactly who you are. Or do you think they'd give you the, like, the, you know, the fluffy Facebook uh, persona? You know, the one that we always post. Um, I, I actually challenged everyone here to pull out their box from the garage. This is mine from the garage. Everybody keeps putting it away because they think it's so ugly. Uh, but this is the Reclaim series. We're showing how, be- how much beauty there is in the ugliness of this world. And this is my box of mem- memorabilia, old yearbooks, garbage. Well, it's not really. And, um, and if you th- I bet all of you have a box like this. And, and uh, one of the things I told you at the beginning of the series is I'd like to clean it out and really like, get rid of some of the stuff because there's going to be a day when, when I die and someone's going to go through that box. And I don't want see- them to see all of that stuff. But if you died tomorrow and people started to go through the box that you have in your garage and they started to collect the stories that they had of who you were, would they really know who you are? Have you ever shared that story with someone else? Now today we are here to figure out who Jesus really is. And the scripture that we are looking at today is the most beautiful portrait of Jesus. Um, we're so used to seeing portraits of Jesus. We get so used to Jesus on the cross or Jesus walking on water, but this is one of the ones that you hardly ever hear about. But it's actually one of the most beautiful portraits of Jesus, and it'll take your breath away. And so with that, I'd like to ask you, are you ready to read the Bible? All right, there we go. Let's jump into it. It's Mark 14, verse 53 through 72. Jesus has just met with his disciples for dinner. Uh, uh, for the last meal of his life before he dies and is uh, crucified. And then he goes out, he prays. They don't pray. They don't stay awake with him in the garden. And then uh, he is arrested by Judas and, and by a mob with swords and clubs. And then they take him off to the high priest's house for a trial. So that's our scripture today. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the scribes were assembled. 
Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Now there's a couple of fishy things going on here. First of all, it's never a good idea if you're hauled off to court in the middle of the night. Uh, Night court. Remember that TV show? (laughs) Bull. Yeah. But you know what? You really don't want to be in court in the middle of the night. And actually in those days, it was illegal to be, to have any kind of trial at night. And uh, it was part of the old laws of the Old Testament. You should never have a trial at night. And, and by the way, it's also never a good idea if everybody in that trial has already determined what the outcome of that trial would be before they've talked to the witnesses. Notice the chief priests and the whole council have already determined that the outcome that they want is for Jesus to be killed, to be murdered. And then the scripture goes on. It says, For many gave false testimony against him, and their testimony did not agree. Now, if there's people giving testimony and none of the testimonies match, what happens to the defendant? Do you know? They go free. You, you, don't, you don't get sentenced with anything if none of the testimonies match. And this is what's happening here. And actually, it's in law, you have to have at least some, some verifiable proof that one of the testimonies is true. And, uh, and that is actually a law that goes all the way back to the Old Testament again, to God's laws for the people. You have to have at least two witnesses that say that exactly that same thing happened. And so here what, here's what they, um, what they said happened. It says, some stood up and, and gave false testimony against Jesus. And they said these words. We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Now, they, they have their own ideas of who Jesus is. They're coming to this, but actually look at these words. They say that Jesus said, I will destroy this temple that is made with human hand, with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. And actually, it's, if you didn't really know the scripture really well, you might think that is what Jesus said. Sounds kind of familiar, right? But that's not what he said. This is what Jesus really said. And that's why it's so important to know scripture. What he really said is not that he would destroy the temple. He said, destroy that temp- this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And actually in scripture, it says that what Jesus was really talking about is his body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that that would be resurrected in three days. Now, you can have all kinds of ideas about who Jesus is. There are a lot of people who reject who Jesus is because they don't really know who Jesus is. They have this preconceived idea of who Jesus is, and they've prejudged Jesus in their life. They said, no, I know who Jesus is, and I don't really want to have anything to do with him. And, uh, and, and it's because they probably, I think, they don't really know the, great, the right story of who Jesus is, the real story. Um, my mom is uh, Scottish. She was born in Scotland. And as a result, um, she married my, well, not as a result of being Scottish, but she did marry my dad, you know. I think that had something to do with it. But anyway, she married my dad, and, and, and he's a California guy, and he brought her here. And so she's an immigrant. My mom is an immigrant. And when she came here, uh, you know, she noticed that everybody is kind of like um, ooing and aahing over presidents, you know, like, oh, a president. And uh, well, president of America is not really uh, a big deal to her because she's, her president would be the prime minister of Great Britain, right? And so, so one time when my dad was a pastor in Salt Lake City, 
there was a, uh, there, there was a day when the ex-president, Gerald Ford, do you know who, Ger- raise your hand if you know who Gerald Ford is. Yeah, okay. So uh, raise your hand if you actually know Gerald Ford. I'm just curious. Anybody? <laughs> I don't want to talk to you afterward. Anyway, so my mom, uh, she, she was not that, okay, so what was happening is Gerald Ford was visiting the church. The ex-president, Gerald Ford, he was coming to like a potluck. And my mom, everybody was so excited. Oh, Gerald Ford's coming. It's such a big deal. And she just really won't have any of that. You know, she, her idea of hanging, she just is, thinks famous people, whatever. It's not a big deal. I mean, the only person that she might think is cool is Bono, right? But that's because she's, she's Scottish. It's almost Scottish. She's Irish. So close. Um, not really. Sorry, all of Great Britain. Um, <laughs> So, so, so this, is, this is what happens. She goes to this dinner and she decides, I am not hanging out with Gerald Ford. I know I'm the pastor's wife, but I'd rather just hang out over here. I don't want to be at the center of attention. And so she just goes over. She, starts, she just decides she's going to talk to this old guy just hanging out in the corner of the room. She talks to him for like 20 minutes. And then she just says, oh man, I just love this guy over here. And she, she says, what's his name? And they go, that's Gerald Ford. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> See, Gerald Ford was actually famous for being this really unassuming president. He was just the normal president, and he really wasn't all about placing himself at the center of attention. And neither was my mom, and that's why I love that story. It was all about humility. It was all about, uh, it was all about just not, not being at the center of everything. And, and, and this is a confusing thing for the people who are tri- putting Jesus on trial, because there's a lot of people who, who were jealous of Jesus. The scripture says that they were jealous, the chief priests were jealous of Jesus. And the reason they were jealous of Jesus is because who was starting to be at the center of the attention of Jerusalem? Jesus. And they were so used to being at the center of attention and they didn't have it any longer. And so they were losing that. And this is what happens The scripture says, then the high priest stood up before them. There's no testimony against Jesus that works. And he stood up before them and he asked Jesus, he said, have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But it says Jesus was silent and did not answer. You know, pleading the fifth, right? He was silent and did not answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am, which the Hebrew word for I am is Yahweh, the unutterable, the word that should never be uttered because it is so holy. He said, Yahweh. In synagogues today, you still don't utter the word Yahweh because it is such a holy word. It actually has no vowels. It's just Y-H-W-H. It's not meant to be said. It's just meant to be regarded ever heard of someone say the name of the Lord is so holy? That's what they're referring to, that even the name of the Lord is too holy for us to even utter. And then he says, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then the scripture says, the high priest tore his clothes. Now the Old Testament also says that you should never tear your clothes because what would it do if if someone was tearing their clothes? I mean, think about, it's putting yourself at the center of attention, isn't it? Right there at the center, tearing your clothes, pulling your hair out, ah! So he, this high priest tears his clothes and he says, 
Why do we still need witnesses? That's never a good thing if there's a trial, by the way. So if the judge says, why do we need witnesses? Let's, yeah, who cares about evidence? Truth, well, who cares? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And then all of them condemned him as deserving death. The jury was out. And then it says, some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to strike him, saying, prophesy. And the guards also took him over and started to beat him. Why do you think they blindfolded Jesus? Do you think it's because they didn't want him to see the blows coming so that he couldn't brace himself? Do you think that's why they said the word prophesy? So he couldn't even anticipate where the hits were coming from? Or do you think it was because they didn't want Jesus to look them in the eye as they were hitting him or as they were spitting on him? They didn't want the truth to be known. You know, it's, I told you that you were going to see the most beautiful portrait of Jesus. But you probably didn't expect that this is what you would see. That this is the Jesus you would encounter when I said that. But it's because God turns our concepts of beauty completely upside down. Totally inside out. You see, the high priest, when he was a little boy, would have heard this beautiful description of the Lord the Lord Yahweh. And this is the description that he would have been familiar with. And it says, it's from Isaiah. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with his glory. And Daniel in a vision receives the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. It was this description of angels surrounding the Lord and the Lord being so holy that all they can do is utter the word holy. And they have to shield their eyes with these crazy wings that they have and the images of them just shouting in heaven, holy, because that's all they can do because they're encountering something of so much beauty. And the high priest could not by any means figure out how the Jesus that he was encountering there could be anyway equated with the Lord Yahweh that the angels would be yelling, holy, holy, holy. And so he tears his clothes. So they all yell, this could not be the Messiah. You're a raving lunatic. You could not be the one. No way. And so then they blindfold Jesus and they start to beat him and they start to spit on him and start to yell, prophesy, prophesy. Now listen to what happens with Peter, Jesus' best friend. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she, when she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him. Can you imagine her glare? She started to just stare at Peter. And she said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. Can you imagine what he started to feel like? But he denied it, saying, I don't know or understand what you are talking about. And then he went out into the forecourt, and then the rooster crowed. And then the servant girl, on seeing him, began again to say to all the bystanders, she starts to spread the word, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. 
Then, after a little while, the bystanders started to talk to Peter. And they started to say, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and no one else here is. But he began to curse and swear. And he swore an oath, saying, I do not know this man who you are talking about. At that moment, the rooster crowed for the second time. And then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when Peter remembered that, he broke down and wept. And you have this image of Peter, Jesus' best friend, saying, I have no knowledge of who this is. Someone who could have given a truthful testimony about the whole of Jesus' life. But then as he does this, he breaks down, he falls on his knees, and he starts sobbing in, in crocodile tears and heaving and crying. He's a completely broken human being. And as Peter is on his knees, he might have looked over at Jesus, who was then probably on his knees as well, blindfolded, bleeding, and covered in sweat. And remembering Jesus, all of the truth that Jesus had told him along the way, that, that the chief priests and the elders and the scribes will bring charges against me, that you will deny me three times. And then also remembering that Jesus said, I am, I am the son of God. And I will come seated, seated at the right hand of the power coming on the clouds. And Peter at that moment probably looked across and saw Jesus in all of his beauty. Probably started to say the words to himself under his breath, holy, 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 holy. There's one thing to deny Jesus, but if you really want to acknowledge Jesus, the way to do it is the way Jesus did it, is to serve others. See, Jesus demonstrated that the greatest power in the universe, the greatest power uh, that ever could exist is the power to serve others and to love others. It's the power to, to stoop down on the ground and to be willing to endure whatever it takes in order to, to conquer the barriers of darkness and fear and violence and untruth and even to conquer death itself. See, people like to think that the crucifixion started when someone nailed that first nail into the hand of Jesus. But that was just, that was just part of the crucifixion. The crucifixion actually began. The gears started turning in the crucifixion long before that. Actually, even when Jesus was on trial and he was blindfolded, his wounds started there. But actually, the day he was born, there was people that were out hunting him, they were sent to try to kill the little baby that would be king. And so he had to travel away with his family to Egypt and live in a foreign country until that king was dead and then he could return. And the rest of his life, can you imagine a little boy knowing that there were people out there trying to kill him, wanting to kill him? Ever since he was a little boy, all through his life, he was hunted and hunted and hunted the crucifixion began the very day that he was born. So Jesus met with his disciples earlier that night. His disciples 
had started to realize that life is not about them. They started to discover that true life is received when it's all about Jesus. Because Jesus is all about us. We've got to leave that, that love up to Jesus and up to God and up to others. And that their true story would be found in Jesus. And so Jesus met them at the table that night before his trial, before his crucifixion, and before his burial. And he said, this is my body. This is my body. And my body is broken, completely broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper... Jesus said, this is my blood. And the word in Hebrew for blood is the same word for life. Jesus was saying, this is my life poured out for you. Shed for the forgiveness of your sins to give you new life. Away from the darkness, away from the pain, away from the hurt. To redeem and reclaim your story. Take and drink. And he said, drink ye all of it. And do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim Jesus's death, but not just his death, but his saving death, his resurrection, and his promise for all of us. It's not just that he will be seated on the clouds, coming on the clouds, seated at the right hand of the power, but that he welcomes us into that embrace and into that relationship. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, bless this food, bless this feast to our bodies. Help us to receive the love that you have and and to recognize that our true stories are found in your story. Help Help us to become your servants, filled up so that we might pour out your love for others around us, so that we would live our lives in recognition of all of your holiness and that we would seek that in our own lives by emulating the love that you, did, uh, you gave to us. So God, we thank you for these gifts, for this food that will nourish our hearts and for the spirit that you give us that nourishes our soul. So we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.